0: Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action. Our podcast is dedicated to parents of children struggling with the effects of trauma and attachment disorders and the caseworkers, coordinators, and other professionals who support them. Your host, Karen Doyle-Buckwalter, will introduce you to Dr. Eliana Gill. Dr. Gill will discuss her work and publications. And now your host, Karen Doyle-Buckwalter.
1: So I am here with Dr. Eliana Gill. And we are going to be having a discussion just about some of her work, her books, um, her journey in in working with children with attachment and trauma issues. So welcome, Dr. Gill. Thank you. Yes. Mm -hmm. So could you share with the listeners just a little bit about your background um, and and how you came to this work? Sure.
2: I I always, when people say my background, um, I always go very broad, but I, I'm originally from South America, from Ecuador, and I, um, am bilingual, bicultural, and that's part of my, um, sort of interest, my broader interest is um, just the whole issue of how interesting it is to be displaced and to um, try to fit in, to make connections, to not have the same language. And I think that's really affected a lot of what I've done and why I've been so drawn to play therapy in particular, because it doesn't assume that you have to have a common language and it's something that you can be expressive with Mm -hmm. and uh, symbolic with. Um, So that's just a big part of my my background and and my upbringing and I came to this country I guess around 14 years of age and then after that stayed and so I visit Ecuador all the time and I have lots of family there but um, because of circumstances and schooling and such basically this became my home Um, I because I am from South America the expectation was that I would go to high school and then get married And this was uh, very ingrained in me from a very, very early time. And so when I chose to actually not do that and start looking more into studies, it was very unusual and people were uh, really questioning what I was doing and why, and, you know, what I thought that I would gain from such a thing. And uh, so even then it, it's interesting how you kind of can take a departure and, and uh, have it be something that becomes really important for you. So anyway, but I went uh, through college and uh, ended up in San Francisco, California, and uh, went to a graduate program there that was actually developed by Virginia Satir and Marty Kirschenbaum, And I was exposed to a lot of family therapy, uh, Mnuchin and Haley and Chloe Madonis, and just all the famous family therapists. One of the trends that I noticed, however, was that they were wonderful when they were working with adolescents and and people who could talk. Um, uh, However, they were not as um, comfortable, I would say, and did not include very young children. And so this really piqued my attention in, in terms of why it was so absent or why it seemed to be um, something that uh, was common among in the family therapy field. Even though they were so systemic, um, the kids were seen as more of a challenge, I guess you would say. And um, so I I remember making a conscious decision to find out more about kids. And I started taking trainings. This was back in the 70s. One of the earliest trainings I had was with Dora Koff, who um, started the sand play therapy process. And uh, I remember just being so enamored with symbolic communication and the things we could do through miniatures and the ways that we could speak to each other in that way. Um, and then slowly but surely, I got immersed in the field of play therapy and was um, very influenced by some of the early pioneers, I guess, um, Virginia Axeline and Anna Freud. And, and then later on, Clark Moustakas and Gary Landreth and Charlie Schaefer and Kevin O'Connor and Louise Gurney. I mean, I can go on and on and on, but those were my earliest um, recollections of people who were just so inspirational and so inspired by uh, play therapy. So I developed a real love for it, but at the same time, I came from a systemic background. So I really wanted to merge the two. And so I always have Uh, tried to the best of my ability to incorporate uh, a systemic point of view, but even beyond that, make sure that the parents are participating in treatment. Now I started back in 1973 in the field of child abuse prevention. And at that time there weren't a lot of people involved in it. Um, And this is just a commentary that it was interesting to me. There were so many fields that Mm -hmm. were established uh, probably primarily because of funding patterns. And so what I noticed was the whole issue of trauma and dissociation was over here. Child abuse was over here. Attachment was over here and like the attachment folks would have attachment conferences and, the dissociation folks would have dissociation conference and the child abuse prevention people were sort of in the middle. And, and I found that really fascinating because I thought we were all working with the same kind of clients and they were presenting with the same kinds of issues. And I think that currently the uh, ACEs um, project has really established very firmly how prevalent um, child abuse is and how much of that abuse really results in traumatic impact. Um, and so early on, I went to work for the San Francisco Child Abuse Council, and uh, I just developed a real interest in helping parents and their kids and and found that many of the parents, most of the parents, didn't wake up thinking today I'm gonna to injure my child, um, or today I'm gonna to be sexual with my child. It's something that just happened um, over time with stressors, I mean, sex abuse and physical abuse are different for sure. Um, But I do think that there's historical events. And I do think that um, there's ways in which people begin to think about children that can be influenced by lots of different things. Anyway, so what I found was that it was an area of interest of mine. And then now having the educational piece of systems and play, I was very interested in working with um, groups of people in families because, for example, with with abuse, oftentimes one child singled out for abuse, but there's a whole bunch of siblings who seem to be witnessing the, this event. And domestic violence, for example, was another thing where that was another funding area where they were domestic violence conferences and child abuse people would be over here. But all of these are, you know, there's threads across all of the, the different groups that I've been mentioning. And here are the kids where some, Sometimes the parents would say, well, they were never hit. Or they were never really hurt. Um, I made sure that it, you know, the kids didn't hear anything and parents don't realize how attuned kids can be to the climate, the temperature in the house and, and what's going on. And obviously these are kids who have traumatic impact often as well. So, um, so that's how my career got started. And uh, certainly it was a really good, I have now been semi-retired three years. But it was a really good and uh, very effective um, uh, career, I think, because I was really invested in just being of service to parents who I believed had the capacity to learn and to change, and also kids, obviously, who I felt were always receptive. And even though they have behavioral problems at times, gosh, they seem to have so much trust that things can be different in most cases. Um, And, of course, there's been lots of frustrations in my life, as I worked with people in terms of um, some parents who weren't as receptive and didn't learn as well as we had hoped or who would make um, ruptures in their relationship with their children and foster care became involved in all of that. But for the most part, I had a lot of rewarding experiences as well, which I'm, you know, very happy about.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking in some ways we've become, be- come a long way with um these parallel universes where in some ways we have it you know because I I feel like we still um as as play therapists are sometimes not remembering the family and the whole family system and 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 I still feel the world of even attachment and trauma are very separate yep um and so it's just beautiful how you were able to like take a big picture, look at that and, and see, you know, how can I impact that and how can I bridge that and how can I bring us together? It's a very um, macro looking down at the whole thing that I think sometimes when you're in it is hard to do. So it's, it's so great that you were thinking that way, you know, yeah yeah it's,
2: it's been uh bridging has been really important whether it's with clients and their families or families in the system or um the system at large with the community or whatever it may be but that seemed to be something that that was really important uh for me from the outset
1: yes yes and so you know you have written so prolifically there's so many but when i was getting ready to do this i i know several of your books and i remember one of the first books I had was when it had the purple cover, um, the healing power play, I think the cover is different now and having that on my shelf. But when I went to prepare for talking with you, I was like, whoa, I mean, there's a lot of books and articles and, um, you know, some, some, the outgrowing the pain book, I, I remembered that. And, and then, um, you know, you have a, a more recent one about post-traumatic play. So, um, wow, you've really made a lot of contributions. Are there any really favorite papers nah. or books that you say, really? Yeah. You
2: something- know, it, it's uh, the thing I will say is that the last book that I wrote, post-traumatic play, that to me felt like a culmination of my career. Okay. It was like, I felt like I... I think I've said everything I wanted to say. And I, I, I actually said to somebody, this is the last book that I that I think I'll write. Now, since then, I've been really excited by something else and may write something about it, but I'm pretty sure and probably no, no book uh, per se. But that one, and then the one right before it, which was the second edition of uh, Play and Family Therapy, those two books to me felt like um, sort of summaries or culminations of thinking. And um, I, I just really, really enjoyed uh, doing both of those. And uh, it's always interesting when you select out cases and and can get permission from people to to write about them. And there were a couple of them that were cases that I'd seen over a long period of time. And so I kind of know where where the families ended up. And it was just Um, very gratifying to be able to chronicle um, some of the work that the families have done. And, you know, I always think that they're really the authors. I mean, they come up with these amazing metaphors. They are drawn to certain, Uh, types of activities, they kind of guide their own process. And they're so creative and so trusting and so willing um, to kind of look at things from a different point of view. So I, I had a really good time with both of those. I think that the other reality is we probably always talk more about cases that are successful than cases that are not. And a friend of mine once wrote a book called Failures in Family Therapy, and I thought it was such a good emphasis on the fact that we learn so much from the cases that don't work, but I always feel so inspired by um, the clients who are really present and doing the work and, you know, really value what they're doing and and have these good outcomes in terms of their relationships with their kids. So those are the ones I came to emphasize.
1: Yes, 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 of course, yes. So another thing I've been thinking about um, in terms of speaking with you is um, just to interject a little of my own story to get this question going. I was trained in non-directive play therapy. I was from Pennsylvania. I went to Penn State. So it was the model of the gurneys. Sure. Um, And I moved to Illinois and started seeing kids in treatment foster care. And I just was so overwhelmed and so... Uh, feeling so inadequate and I contacted a play therapy supervisor in Illinois and she said, I think you need to learn TheraPlay and I had never heard of it. Um, my supervisor in uh, Pennsylvania where I came from said, you need fil- you need more training in filial therapy. That's what you need. <laughs> yeah. and, um, so I just, for whatever reason, I, I went the direction of the TheraPlay and when I got there, I was just really, uh, sold on it, but also still very overwhelmed and confused because it was so different from what I was doing. And and as I got further into working with children in the foster care system and children with attachment problems, I saw there was this, this kind of a split where, you know, this idea that tradi- traditional therapies don't work and... Um, Play therapy doesn't work, and at that time, holding therapy was a big thing. Oh, yeah. And so, there there were all of these, you know, uh, different directions that people were very polarized. I would say, mm-hmm. and I said, yeah. You know, If I ever get to know anything or share anything or anything, I don't. I want to be the program without an ego and learn from everybody. Um, But so I wanted to talk with you because you have done a lot of work with children with attachment issues and trauma issues. You know, what are your thoughts to, to someone who says, you know, play therapy doesn't work. You need A, B or C with children who have attachment issues. What do you say to that? Um, you know, I'm I'm the same way. I,
2: I kind of take in a lot of information, like I did Bruce Perry's program, which I think you did too, and and uh, love Theraplay, love Circle of Security. Um, those are the things that influence me the most, I think. Um, and and it is true that. There is a traditional, the traditional play therapy is is really the child-centered play therapy, the one where the child is leading the process, where there's not a lot of um, guidance, as it were. Uh, It's not symptom-oriented. Gary Landreth and the Center for Play Therapy in Texas, I mean, they really do turn out quite a lot of very invested and committed uh, child-centered play therapists. And I think the split started coming with... Um, the other group, and that's more the, I I guess you would say, directive uh, play therapists, the ones where the therapist really takes a more active role, Um, and so there was this real schism, and I think what's happened over time, and I think we're moving in this direction, is that people have begun to see that actually it's not an either-or situation, that sometimes, not sometimes, almost always, it's a continuum uh, between the non-directive and the directive therapies, and then kind of bring into the picture the concept or the theory of prescriptive therapy. And that is that you really match the child's problems to a specific kind of technique that maybe has an even an evidence base um, of being successful with the particular type of, of problem the child presents with. So, you know, it's an interesting thing. A lot of child play therapists feel very comfortable with children, but you put a parent into the room And they get really nervous and, you know, feel like they're being judged by the parents or don't know exactly how to invite the parents in because they're adults. The same thing happens in family therapy. You put these brilliant family therapists in a room and you introduce a three-year-old and a six-year-old and a seven-year-old and suddenly they don't know what to do. You know, how do I meet all the competing demands of young children versus the adults and I don't want to come across like I'm, you know, Sing-songing to the kids, but I don't know how to be, you know. So mm-hmm. each field has kind of, I think, acknowledged that there is sort of a uh, a lack of training or confidence or comp- a sense of competence about working um, w- with this bridged approach. Um, but I think it's getting much better. And so now, now let's just go to the issue of attachment. If a child is in is, is referred, and attachment appears to be the central issue, um, obviously, you would have to be guided by attachment theory, and also what the consensus is of what are the attachment-appropriate kinds of treatment. Whenever anyone says to me, I'm an attachment-based therapist, I always go, okay, and so tell me exactly what you do. And they say, well, sometimes they're very conversant with and will say, well, I do this and I do Daniel Hughes work or whoever it may be, but they have somebody that they can refer to. And other times they just go, well, you know, I pay attention to attachment in the room. And so you get a sense of, wait a minute, I think that's just now become a buzz phrase for some people. And in reality, I'm not quite sure what they're doing to make their interventions attachment appropriate. Mm -hmm. And so I think that then the other field, as it were, needs to be applied. Um, So, you know, the same is true of, for example, uh, on the autism spectrum. I mean, if I get a referral and, and the primary, maybe the child's been abused, but now I have to somehow work with the child within that system of him being or her being on the spectrum. So how does that change what I do in terms of intervention? I have to go find out about it, or I might say, I can't do this. So I'm gonna to refer to someone who does this and does both things. So mm-hmm. we have to be careful, I think, about um, what we are attempting to do and then, Making sure when we don't know enough, we pass it on to someone who might, because the cases that you're talking about that come through the foster care system, and there's been multiple disruptions, and these kids are really, you can tell immediately, they hug you and say, I want you to be my mom, can I come every day? I mean, the attachment is right in the forefront. It's in every relationship that they're involved in, and that means you really have to do attachment. Based work now, I call it family play therapy with an attachment focus, or but however you describe it, you know what you're doing, and that's when I incorporate theraplay. I might have the parents do the parent uh, the circle of security, um, parenting um, what's called group, um, but there's attention to the issue of attachment. It becomes the context in which we are working, but mm-hmm. I think that people need to be sure they know what they're doing before they. Head out because there's so many competent people who could really help. I think theraplay myself is. I I had taken theraplay training decades ago, and it was a a training I didn't. It didn't. It didn't sit well with me. There were too many questions left over and this many years later when I've had my second round of TheraPlay training probably 10 years ago now, but that, that just opened all these doors. And I tell you, I I just wish, as a matter of fact, my daughter's a therapist and she said, what should I get trained in? TheraPlay right away. You just are going to use that all kinds of, and she loves it. And, um, and so I think we need to just make sure we're equipped uh, for the very real, very uh, difficult ruptures that Mm -hmm. have occurred with the kids that we work with. um, And make sure we're doing, I I say I do an integrative practice. And and I really believe that to be true, um, that there are lots of different components to it. Um, but in terms of play therapy, I do think that child-centered play therapy is a wonderful way to start with kids, mm-hmm. a wonderful way to get to know them. And and mm-hmm. you will learn about their attachment issues pretty quickly in non-directive play therapy, just in terms of how they orient you, what they need or expect from you, what they avoid, what they push you away from, and all kinds of things. I mean, I think it's a kind of an immediate thing that you can uh, learn about, but then- it may need to get more directive as time goes by because it may just not be um focused enough to really give them the experience the experiential learning that they need um often in the context of an important dyad
1: yes yes well i think um what what you're saying is so important and i think we could talk a lot longer about this i'm aware of the time but Uh, One thing that went through my mind as you were talking is I really feel like evidence-based practice has almost backfired, in a sense, in terms of if you're looking at an integrative model and you're looking at what does this child really need And we're in this era of people landing on one thing that they think has an evidence base and, you know, hanging out their shingle that I'm certified in this. And, you know, this
2: is, (laughs) yeah, it's gotten really something. And now I think the standards have been lowered. Um, Not obviously for something like therapy that's had so much research, but I've seen that some things that have been evidence-based after one study. And, and so uh, it's just so I, I think of what we're doing as a, group private practice and i think of it as evidence and practice informed and that means that we are able to integrate an evidence based practice like emdr or um, you know and and we're at the in the play therapy world at a point where filial therapy and cprt and um, the uh, other one is child parent psychotherapy and therapy they're all getting to that standard of being evidence-based um Mm -hmm. so it's going to be great but then you still have the ongoing question of how do you select between those models yeah yeah I, um, i just invited risa van fleet to come and do that to actually say here's all these parent child models here's all these attachment models how do you pick and choose well how are they different and alike and What do you need to know before you make a decision? I mean, beyond getting trained in them as as well, which is really important. But I just think it's an interesting question for everyone right now.
1: It is, it is. And the other question is, as young therapists, you know, at Chad Ackes, we're training new people and it's like, we want to training therapy, we want to train you EMDR, we want to train you in TBRI. I mean, if you've had a whole career to do this, that's one thing, but um, you know, it's, it's, I, I think we're overwhelming people. So I think we have to also think, think I, about.
2: And that tendency now to have certifications in 19 different things. I mean, it's just, a, it's an interesting time. I think um, uh, hopefully in another 10 years, it'll be in a different place. I think everything mm-hmm. will even out eventually. Um, but it certainly has been interesting to watch to sit back and just watch the evolution of all this. Yes,
1: yes, yes. And well, it's um yeah, and, and I, I'm so uh, pleased to hear your perspective about family systems and all the different models and you know that so many of us um, you know, can benefit from from learning different things. When you said, you know, it's not an either or, I thought, my gosh. Our whole world needs to know that right now, don't they?
2: <laughs> I I agree wholeheartedly. You know, like, wholeheartedly. Yeah.
1: So, well, I want to thank you so so much for your your You're time welcome. today. I mean, I mean, we could we could go on for hours doing this yes, yes. different areas that are of
2: interest, but I appreciate it and I I uh, very much enjoyed and I hope I didn't talk too much. Sometimes I get going and I get excited.
1: <laughs> yes. No, it's been wonderful. The last thing I want to, to do for anyone listening is for them to know where to get your books. Um, I know Amazon has them. Um, you have the Gill Institute where you're doing all kinds of fabulous training all the time. Yeah. Like- well, where where can people find out I more? Think, um,
2: yeah, I think the easiest is just www.gillinstitute.com. And I okay. think the books, as much as I love Amazon, I think they're like this power force that's kind of eating. It's like the... That Pac-Man thing. They're eating up all the little tiny places. So I always encourage people to go to the self-esteem bookshop. And that's ah. a, a therapist friend of mine, Deanne Grunberg and her husband run that. It's just really tiny, but they really focus in. So because she's a therapist, you can say, you have a kid who has this issue and this issue, what do you recommend? And she knows yes. um, so the self-esteem shop and it's in Michigan. So I encourage you to do that too. I know Amazon has good deals. We're all, I mean, I love Amazon, but in terms of the books, I I usually refer to the self-esteem shop so gill institute and self-esteem shop is a good way to find me and uh yeah i'm sort of in semi-retirement so i'm doing consulting and supervision and teaching but uh not too much client work right now
1: all right well thank you again so You're much
2: very welcome so nice to meet you uh, over the uh i'm I guess... the virtual hello is
0: great
1: yes yes, <laughs> so, yes. thanks very much
0: Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, TraumaAttachmentCenter.com, or subscribe to our iTunes channel for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our broadcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, log on to TraumaAttachmentCenter.com. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, developmental trauma, and attachment theory.